You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, fellow factoid freaks and flapdoodle fans. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 56, and of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your placid platoon of pleasant people pleasing to present plenty of pleasurable podcasting. Whoa. <laughs> that was submitted by a listener, Bethany. Thank you. Oh, Thank you. A nice. free alliteration. I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. All right, let's jump into our first general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hotshot. And in this segment, I choose a random Trivial Pursuit cards, and you guys have your barnyard buzzers and see if we can answer some of these questions. Here we go. Blue Wedge for Geography. St. Basil's Cathedral, whose architect, according to legend, was blinded, so he would never again create anything so beautiful, is in what city? Oh... Uh, I, I think this is in Russia. Do I have at least the country right? I can yes. Narrow? Okay, God, what city? Is it uh, St. Petersburg? Moscow. Uh, okay. I, I bet you yeah. St. Peter's Cathedral is in St. Petersburg. <laughs> <laughs> just me. It's funny, actually, just quickly about the, the blinded architect. Uh, that story you can find attached to many famous structures throughout history. It's really hard to substantiate that it ever happened, but if you read enough about art history or archaeology, almost every famous building has, oh, and the architect was blinded, so he could never <laughs> reproduce <laughs> yeah. this. This work of art, yeah. (laughs) What a drama queen. (laughs) The guy who built this Arby's was blinded. (laughs) It was the best Arby's you could ever be. All right, pop culture, Pink Wedge. What band offered online pay-what-you-want pricing for their 2007 album in Rainbows? (laughs) Dana. Uh, Radiohead? Correct, Radiohead. A smashing success for them, and uh, really the thing that kicked off the idea of pay what you want. And I think that that they felt vindicated. I think I remember reading that the average price settled around $9, I think, out of all the donations, which they thought was a fair price. All the skeptics who said uh, people are just going to pay a penny. And there were. Yeah. Yeah. There were, but they were outweighed by by other people paying like, oh, I'll pay $200 because yep. I love you guys so yep. much. Yep. 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 All right, Yellow Wedge. What civilization was sustained by farming on artificial islands called Chinampas? Chinampas. Chinampas. C-H-I-N-A-M-P-A-S. Yeah. What, what civilization? civilization? Oh. I'm guessing Aztec. Correct. Yeah, that's a good guess. Yeah. It sounds like a Aztec word. Huh. Probably no. Kinampas, probably. Kina, oh, okay. Yeah. China Empass. I vaguely remember it from world history. <laughs> All right, Purple Wedge. An Argentinian man left a bequest to a theater company in 1955, provided they used his skull in what Shakespeare play? <laughs> Chris. Hamlet. Yes. <laughs> That's pretty gross. <laughs> All right, Green Wedge for science. What odd mammal's name comes from the Greek for flatfoot? Colin. Is it platypus? Yes, be. platypus. <laughs> All right, last question, Orange Wedge. What clear malt beverage hit the market in the early 90s? 
Chris Zima. Oh, Zima. Do they still? They don't still sell no, that. No, they anyway. finally. I think they. I think they went. They changed hands. They finally went out of business. No, it's. I mean, basically, it's like it's been replaced by Mike's Hard Lemonade. Or Smirnoff Ice. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys ever have when, Zima? Oh yeah. yeah. Their main selling point was you can practically taste it and it gets you drunk, <laughs> but it does not <laughs> taste very good. I remember. No. So I, I have had Zima. Yes. No. All right. Good job, brains. So this week, our topic. I got inspired by Chris. Oh, thank you. Because Chrissy got really, really sick. Yes. Oh, we're not doing the incredibly handsome people topic <laughs> for next week. Just the sick um, people. Yeah, I decided that it would be a fun idea to be violently ill on an airplane, on a six-hour airplane ride. Oh, <laughs> I shared that story with everyone, and Karen's like, well, let's talk about all the ways that the human body can mess you up. Yes. So this week, we're talking about the human body. Since this show was uh, inspired by horrible things my body did to me, uh, I think I get the right to go first. And with a segment called Help, 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 I'm Drowning. Oh, um, so, positive. So let's say, so let's say uh, Colin, let's, yeah. let's say, for example, that you were at the beach. Uh, and the lifeguard at the beach said, hey, I got to go run and get a drink. Can you uh, can you just be the lifeguard for a few minutes here? Now, besides the fact that this would be like the worst lifeguard ever, right. if you were to say yes and get up on the on the chair and just sort of as a, as a lay person, you're looking out for danger, essentially, and you're trying to identify somebody who is drowning, what do you think you'd be looking for? Uh, well, based on my knowledge of Baywatch and yeah. TV, <laughs> yes. I would assume somebody flailing their arms around wildly in the in the surf. Right. And they would be saying something like, Help! Help! Or... I'm drowning! Yes. Help, help! Help! I'm drowning! Save me! And waving their arms around and trying to grab at things and right. things of that nature. Right, exactly. And so, I mean, that's essentially, I mean, after watching Baywatch and literally any TV or TV show or movie in which someone is drowning, that is what we think of. And we're like, oh, I'm going to watch out for drowning people. Then, you know, you get the big comical red and white life buoy, right? right? And you throw <laughs> it to them. And here, grab hold of this! And they grab hold of it and you tow them in with the rope and... And you, you know, you it's pull like, them back God, in. Thank God, Billy, you're oh, okay. Yeah, oh, Billy, I, uh, wow, I was really drowning out there. Right, yeah, and so that's, and then you save somebody from drowning and you get written up in the paper. As a matter of fact, <laughs> if you are looking out for that, you will never, ever see people who are actually drowning. This uh, is why I was will... fired from my job as a lifeguard. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. It was not too long ago, it was really the 1970s when there was a, a lifeguard named Frank Pia who was basically this this <gasps> incredibly influential... Uh, you want to get it all out, Karen? Pia the pool. Right, yes. Oh, yes. Excuse me. Let me go back and retcon. This segment is now called Pia in the pool. Lifeguard named Frank Pia who identified basically the what he calls the instinctive drowning response and he actually filmed people who were drowning because really because people almost drown all the time. Like, right. all you really have to do is go down to a crowded beach and just, like, point a camera at a crowded beach, and you will start catching people on camera almost drowning. Hmm. And so he would do this and, and film it and study drowning. 
and basically said, okay, no, <laughs> there's such a thing as the instinctive drowning response. And so here's the good job brain segment that might actually save a life someday. All right. When a person is drowning, what this means is that they're out in the water, they're over their head, and their body is not able to maintain buoyancy, enough buoyancy. And basically, they are unable to keep their mouth above the water level long enough to take in enough air when you can't get enough air and you can't get your mouth above water you are no longer in control of your actions because all of the fun things that we do waving our arms up in the air going help help i'm drowning that's all secondary to your body's central nervous system like getting oxygen right so as soon as you can't take in oxygen your body shuts down all that and it just it just starts working on a basic automatic. level of autonomic nervous system that's the part of the brain that controls like your heart beating and sneezing and Got stuff it. like that like not something you think involuntary about. so mm -hmm. your arms you will start flapping your arms like the wings of a bird laterally but trying to push yourself above the water mm. your head will tilt back as far as you can get it back to get your mouth above the surface of the water and you can't talk right we can only talk once breathing is fulfilled and at this point you you're not in any voluntary control of your actions whatsoever Whoa, your, right, your body is just right. attempting to keep itself alive this lasts for 20 to 60 seconds before the person goes under for the last time so you've got about a minute and so this is what lifeguards now have to identify and again it's only been like since the 1970s that they really truly understood this hmm. that if you throw them the big comical life buoy and go <laughs> grab this they can't grab it right, their right. arms are thrashing oh. up and down they they're not aware couldn't grab it even if you wanted to the thing is sometimes when people drown there are people standing all around them they, they just, don't they just they don't recognize the signs no they think mm. they're playing in the water mm. they think they're just having a good time oh you know thrashing their the water bobbing up and down in the water so trying to swim thrashing their hands up and down and so you'll see lifeguards like pushing their way past crowds of people to get to one person in the crowd because they recognize that person's going through instinctive drowning response and they've got huh. one chance. They've got 60 seconds maximum right, to go down right. there. Now that they've identified this, not only does all of the what to watch for lifeguard training goes out the window, but all of the, okay, you've identified a drowning person, you've swum out to them, what do you do? Like, that kind of goes out the window. Because yeah. typically in lifeguard training classes before this, somebody would be in the water going, help, help, I'm drowning. And then the lifeguard would swim towards them. And then the, the, the pretend victim at this point would, like, reach their arms out. Right. And they'd grab onto the lifeguard. And they'd be like, oh, thank you, lifeguard. And then they both swim back to shore together. But the lifeguards had to realize now that when they were going out there to save somebody, their arms were going to be thrashing up and down in the water violently, and they actually had to avoid getting getting socked on the head by them. And and Frank Pia developed what is called the Pia carry, which is a just a very specific technique for like getting underneath somebody, supporting. Because the first thing you have to do, you don't just grab a drowning person and start dragging them to shore. You have to Lift get them, them up, up above the water, line. so they're up above the water line and they can start breathing again. And right. so it's like a simultaneous like thing where you get under with your shoulders and your legs and everything and you get them up and you carry start carrying them. I think of dirty dancing when like the guy lifts the girl horizontally. <laughs> I don't think it's oh, like okay. that. I'm pretty sure it's not like that. <laughs> well, it's probably not that's probably not a terrible no. thought like, process. It's perpendicular. Of, like, you make a T. I think it's that they kind of pull the person around from behind as if you were grab somebody from behind to give them a hug and you sort of swim backward, I think, and I might be wrong about yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's probably something to the, to that extent. But you gotta get them up right. and, and out of the water. That's scary and wonderful at the same time. Because yeah. it's scary that you're 
Fadi would be like, no, I'm going to control this for you. You and, can't be trusted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, right, then but, then it, but then it does life. all of these things automatically for you that prolong your, your life or uh, cause you to be able to be rescued or would cause you to be able to get out of that state. That's a little dark. <laughs> I have a quiz for you guys. It's kind of a palate cleanser. Maybe. Uh, it's called Bring in the Noise, Bring in the Funk. It's about body gunk. Oh! oh. Body gunk. <laughs> the wonderful uh, things your body makes. Natural, natural things your body produces <laughs> that are a little gross, a little funky. Somebody said, um, we're a little sophomoric in the review. A little sophomoric. And I, I was like, oh, I'll show you sophomoric. <laughs> and, like, and I was like, oh, they're going to like this quiz. All right. First question. A normal human being produces about 278 gallons of this substance per year. I'm going to go with saliva. No. Nope. <gasps> That's was, a lot. Oh, urine? No. Sweat. Sweat. Yeah. yeah. In a year. I, I would think it's more. I produce a lot of saliva in a year. This substance is composed of fluid, white blood cells, bacteria, and other debris. Chris. Pus. Yes. yes. Hooray. Pus. Yeah. Pus. Pus. Also known as cerumen, this is made of oil, sweat, and dried skin cells. That um, is earwax. Yes. Oh, nice. I was going to guess eye gunk. C-E-R-U-M-E-N. Cerumen. Yeah, that's a good Sounds like Lord of the Rings, huh? It does. Saruman. Yeah. This is a form of hardened plaque and is also the same word for a kind of mathematical study. Plaque. Hardened plaque. Oh, oh. Oh, I know. It's, it. uh, uh, is it, uh, it's like calculus? Is that what it yes. is? Yes, yeah. calculus. Oh. You know that other word for calculus? Is it the same as tartar? Yes. Oh, oh, got it. Like calcium. Cal- oh. Right, right. Okay, finally, last question. In ancient Rome, physicians recommended rinsing the mouth with this bodily substance as a way to get sparkling white teeth. Oh, man. <laughs> Colin. This I have read before. Oh. This is urine. Yes. Uh. Because it has naturally occurring ammonia. Romans. So it yeah. didn't work. And I remember reading once that it was such a fad that it wasn't just your own urine, that it was, <laughs> they would, I'm not, <laughs> I read this, that they would actually bring in urine from other regions and countries and that various regions were known to be, oh, this is, this is the good stuff. You really want to rinse your mouth with urine the from Silk this Road region. is actually yeah. the yeah. urine road. High, highly prized. Mm-hmm. What vintage is this? The mouthfeel of this. This is a an artisan urine yeah. yeah good job you guys you really know Thank your you. body gunk we know our we know our junk i'm just gonna go for it speaking mm. of pee oh, oh i yeah. had speaking of pee on my good job brain bingo card <laughs> yes i'm sure you guys and the listeners uh, expect me to mention pee or poo facts for this very episode so one day for lunch uh, this past week, I had this awesome thing of polenta and uh, with spring vegetables. And, and by spring vegetables, uh, they were really just like different varieties of asparagus. Oh. And uh, I'm sure you're way ahead of me now <laughs> with my story and see where this is going. So for the rest of the day, every time I went to the bathroom, like my pee smelled weird. Like yeah. my pee had asparagus. It was asparagus pee, yeah. right? And we all know well, this. If we yeah. eat asparagus... Your pee smells weird. Does it happen to everybody? So here's the thing. I'm sitting there thinking, why does this happen? What's actually causing this? And is it just me? Is it everybody? And so here it is. All right, I have some quotes from important people. Benjamin Franklin said, A few stems of asparagus eaten shall give our urine a disagreeable odor. (laughs) (laughs) But Marcel Proust says, 
Asparagus transforms my chamber pot into a flask of perfume. <laughs> so it seems like it might smell different for everybody. Most of the time it smells bad for most people. And this is why. Asparagus has aptly asparagusic acid. Hmm. And so these are the only sulfur-containing compounds unique to asparagus. And so when your body metabolizes this type of acid, mm. you get methylmercaptan, which is a byproduct gas. And of course, this is the same type of gas that makes your bad breath smell bad, makes mm. farts smell bad. So it's related to a lot of sulfur, bad-smelling things. Skunk, Makes boiled sense. cabbage, all Rot kind rotten of, eggs. Yes, all within kind of the same family. Right. And so the ability to produce this gas in urine after eating asparagus was once thought to be a genetic trait. Some people uh, genetically might break it, it down and break some it down okay. and some don't. But actually recent research suggests that this odor is actually produced by everybody. Everybody has asparagus pee. It's actually the detection of it varies from person to person. Ah. So your pee will always smell weird, but maybe you're you, not wired in your olfactory system yep, to smell it. Or maybe it smells a little bit different. That's why Marcel Proust thinks it smells awesome. And Benjamin Franklin and me and probably all most of you guys think it smells really weird. Maybe perfume just didn't smell that good back in the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. <laughs> they were still working yeah. on it. And also, another personal story. When I was a kid, I don't know, I think it was a, because of a dare or something, but I was, <laughs> I was 10, and I drank a whole pitcher of grape Kool-Aid. Okay. And then for the rest of the day, my pee... <laughs> was green not purple it yeah. was super green sure well because grape kool-aid is purple but there is no such thing as purple because it's really just a really deep blue right and yellow and blue make green ah, so yeah that makes sense the underlying theme i guess of, of this segment is just pee has stuff that you metabolize or yes. or yeah. can't metabolize right. it just you comes are what out you system. pee you pee you what you eat yeah. i actually i actually learned recently oh well i guess it was a couple of years ago now but i learned that you know beets turn my pee red right really really red um, i remember for a long time. No, because, I mean, I did not know that. And I ate, Karen made a bunch of beets, like a, a bunch of roasted beets that were super, super, like, roasted and just so deep red and delicious that we ate a lot of them. That that evening, I thought I had cancer. You know, I mean, I, thought, I was like, I'm going to die. I'm dead. That's it. There's red is... coming out of a place. There shouldn't be red Exactly. Out of... And, I mean, I talked to a friend about it. And he finally, he's like, well, what did you eat? I'm like, well, like, nothing. I'm like, I had some eggs for breakfast. And then we ate, like, a whole buttload of beets oh yep in addition to beets blackberries and rhubarb also turn your pee red or pink hmm. really? so multivitamins if you eat a lot of vitamins and you know your body yeah. only takes what it needs and then it just kind of process the rest and it right. escapes through pee you might notice that your pee will be neon yellow mm, and this has that. happened to me i've heard that from vitamins yeah yep. and uh there you go my pee lowdown <laughs> Have you guys heard of methyl blue? So methyl blue, it's a substance that'll turn your pee blue. Yes. And like if you're, you know, a medical student or a urologist, you might know this. And I think they use it for diagnostic purposes. Yeah. And but, pranks. And pranks. So I remember hearing about it where you get someone, you sneak it into your buddy's drink or whatever, and then they go to the bathroom and they're peeing blue all of a sudden. So imagine how shocked you are, not at red, but blue, <laughs> if you're not expecting it coming out. Yeah. There are a lot of uh, different medication that also alters the color of your pee, but just even normal foods will make it smell weird will mm -hmm. make it look mm -hmm. weird 
Well, we've talked a little bit about uh, gunks that your body produces, and we've talked a little bit about expelling things from your body. So I'm going to combine the two and talk about sneezing. Oh, okay. <laughs> An involuntary body response. Yes, yes. 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 Yeah. That is often associated with some um, fluid of gunk of some sure. sort. The technical scientific name for sneezing is oh. sternutation. <laughs> Sounds like a pregnancy thing, actually. Sternutation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, don't open the door. He's in there sternutating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The sternutating room. Why, why is he sternutating if it's about pregnancy? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's a topic for another show, Dana. Yeah. Uh, I, lo- I love sneezing because this is one of those like areas of biology and physiology that uh, you can tell that researchers involved in this field have a good sense of humor. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And I think it's one of those things like where if you're studying poo for your living or sneezing, it's just, I mean, it's some things are inherently funny and it's going to bleed through into your research. Yeah. There's a lot of fun acronyms and names in the world of sneezing research. Oh, awesome. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I got I got some great terms and some portmanteau words and some oh. horrible, horrible acronyms that we'll get to shortly here. So sneezing, like a lot of things, it's partly really well understood. Like, we really understand the physiology of okay. it, like how the sequence goes. But the neurology part of it, a lot of it is really poorly understood, like a lot of neurological things. At the base of it, you've got your typical, your prototypical sneeze. Like, I think we all understand how that works, you know? So, you like nasal irritation, there's some particles or dust or something in your nose, and then that sets off a chain reaction in your nervous system that forces your body to expel air out and get whatever's in your nose out. And so, I mean, that explains... All of your sneezes like pollen or dust or pepper in the face or sneezing powders, like these are all things we're really familiar with. You get stuff in your nose, your body wants to get it out. I hope we're going to touch upon something that I actually suffer. Oh, I, I am sure that I am okay. without even getting there. All right, because wow. I'm very curious why I, I do it. I am sure that we will get there. Right. Um, what really interests me are the atypical sneezes, the things that are it gets into the area of we don't really know why the body does this. Oh, so I think this is where we're getting. So... All right, so let me ask you guys a little question. So we've all been there. You're like, oh, you, you know, you feel the sneeze coming on, and, like, you want to sneeze. You want to get it out because you you're like, so oh, bad. it's driving yeah. me. Like, what's a very common bit of advice that people will give you? Look at light. Look at light, yes. Mm. And this works for me. This absolutely works for me. Mm-hmm. This doesn't work for everybody. Oh. This part of sneezing is is really hotly debated. They don't really, really understand why this is. I had heard that it was if your your optic nerves that are sending the light messages down are close enough to the yes. nerves in the nose near where that would set off a sneeze, right, that right. that might explain it. Is that one of the that, that's, debate points? That's absolutely one of the leading theories. And so behind your behind your face, if you were to peel off your face, uh, you would see... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which we are not for a second recommending that yeah. you do. If you were to peel off your face, uh, you would see, among many other things, you would see the trigeminal nerve. And this is one of the major nerves. And it extends behind your nose, behind your eyes, behind your jaw, and that whole, the whole front of your face, basically. Mm-hmm. The pathways it's that the are... It's face nerve. It's your face nerve. It's yeah. your main face mm-hmm. nerve. And the nerves that are responsible for triggering sneezes, we, we know that it's the trigeminal nerve. We also know that it's responsible for optical pathways and things like that involved in vision. So one of the theories is that because they're so closely related in yeah. terms of the pipes... They can maybe cross stimulate each other, yeah. and it can kind of work both directions. Right. Yeah. Now, my fiance, who I sometimes mention, is Taiwanese, and uh, we've had this discussion, and uh, she's just like, "I think this is a white people thing," because, <laughs> and and it might be like differences in like cranial structure. Different ethnic groups might cause there to be a difference as far as whether you're susceptible to yeah. this or not, or low. Because she was just like. 
I've never, never oh, heard, see. never heard of people in my family like sneezing because they looked at light. As a kid, every time I step outside in the daytime, I will always sneeze. I secretly thought I was allergic to the sun and was freaked out. And I realized it's just I'm really sensitive. Oh, God. I mean, you guys are setting me up perfectly here. This is great. So, Karen, you you do, in fact, suffer from what is called the photic sneeze reflex. Cool. Yes. At a hypersensitive level. Yeah. It describes a scenario where virtually any bright light exposure will trigger sneezing. And for some people, it's really bad. It'll be fits of sneezing. Like, they'll walk out into the bright light and they'll start sneezing for several minutes and not be able to oh, stop. Okay. So be lucky you don't have that no. extreme. It does not affect everybody. They estimate about a fourth of the population has photic sneeze reflex. And Chris, it's so funny you say this. In the course of doing research, they have found it is overwhelmingly present in Caucasian populations, and it is largely prevalent among women. I am taking Regina a victory lap. Is, I'm taking yep. a... Regina can also take a victory lap, but yep. yes. Okay, so now, the photic sneeze reflex, such a boring name. Don't you think that that could benefit from a snappy acronym? Yeah. You are suffering from, Karen, what is known as the Achu syndrome. Oh, oh my man. god. I, yeah, there I know. So proud when they came up yes, with it. I can already. <laughs> I told you, you have to have a good sense of humor to uh, uh-huh. research sneezes. The autosomal dominant compelling helioophthalmic outburst uh, syndrome. Yeah. Basically, sun makes you go sneeze. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you also heard in there autosomal. Uh, it is believed to be genetic. The photic sneeze reflex is... My dad has it too! There you go. There is another phenomenon that apparently is well known to many people. I had never heard of this, but if you are really full, if you've just eaten a lot at the end of a big meal, for some people, this will trigger sneezing fits, and much the way the photic sneeze reflex, sometimes uncontrollably. The name for this is... Snatiation. Portmanteau yeah. of sneezing, sneezing and, and satiation. satiation. It's right. Good. It gets worse. It gets worse. Not only is snatiation a portmanteau word, <laughs> these people are having uh, it is also day. one of the worst acronyms I've ever heard in my life. Sneezing non-controllably at a time of indulgence of the appetite, a trait inherited and ordained to be named. Not bad. Tortured. Not bad. But done with tongue firmly in cheek. No, and then again, reading about this, a lot of people are like, oh my god, I thought I was the only one who did this, or oh my god, my dad does this, yeah. But there is ample room for research, uh, you know, young listeners, if you want to get into the field of sneezing study. And wordplay. It sounds like, yeah, they're down with some puns. Yeah, you better come prepared with your bad puns. Very quickly, just to wrap up, So we talked earlier about ways to trigger sneezes. What are some of the best ways that you guys have heard to stop a sneeze? Uh, Hold your your eyes open because you, you close your eyes when you sneeze. So if you keep your eyes open, oh, you'll make your sneeze. eyes fall out. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Grandma. You <laughs> the one I always remember from cartoons is the finger under the nose. Is That's that... a real thing. Oh, that it is? is. That is absolutely yeah. a real thing. There is there is a pressure point right under oh. the bony part of your nose. I learned this, and it works all for me. All of us are touching our yeah, noses yeah. right now. For me, at least, it absolutely works. It will no squelch. Way. It will squelch a sneeze. The nerves in your face are all really interconnected yeah, face in some nerve. undescribable ways. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break and a word from our sponsor. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. 
If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here, too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. Calling all kids in the car. Brittany and Meredith here from the chart-topping Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Are you dreading another silent car ride with the fam? We've got the cure. Three rounds of fresh trivia every single week. Movies, music, even science and Disney. We've got something for every trivia buff in the car. No more crickets chirping on those long journeys. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast is your secret weapon for connecting and laughing with kids of all ages, teens, toddlers, adults, it doesn't matter. Spark their curiosity and challenge their brains with every episode. New episodes drop weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast and turn those car rides into epic adventures. And welcome back. You are listening to Good Job Brain. And this week we're talking about the amazing human body. I would like to title this Old Wise Tales. Bits of received wisdom passed down throughout the generations, some of which uh, turn out to actually be true, even though the old wives in question didn't understand why. Or and, science yeah. in and, general. Right, yes, or yes. Um, and then some of which turn out to be total baloney. And so <laughs> this quiz is about old wives' tales. Are they true or what? And I'll let you guys do thumbs up and thumbs down. You guys can vote. Okay. Uh, and I will cool. I will let you, the listeners, know how our panel is voting, and then we'll reveal the actual answer. Thumbs up for true? Thumbs up for truth. Number one. True or false, old wives' tale. Drinking warm milk makes you sleepy. Everybody says true. Everybody is equal parts right and wrong. It's true for, <laughs> it's yeah. true for infants that after infants have a meal of warm body temperature, 98.6 degree breast milk, they will uh, fall asleep. Is it true for adults? Yeah, if they're conditioned to do it, uh, <laughs> um, it might actually a routine. Yeah, or... warmth does make you sleepy, right? Kind of what happens is like it might make you fall asleep because it makes you fall asleep because you're thinking you're it's going thinking. to, so it does, yeah, and it worked the yeah. last time, and it's very comforting. But no, it's not like there's people are like, oh, well, there's tryptophan in warm milk. It's like, well, I guess, yeah, but it's not gonna, you know. How about this? How about chicken soup is good for a cold? Now, of course, we're veering into some dangerous territory, obviously. There might be, there's room for debate in a lot of these, but chicken soup is good for a cold. Is that false or is that true? Karen says false, Colin says true, Dana says true. As per the Mayo Clinic, chicken soup is good for a cold. This is what the Mayo Clinic's website says. First, it acts as an anti-inflammatory, the site says, by inhibiting the movement of neutrophils, immune system cells that participate in the body's inflammatory response. Uh Second, it temporarily speeds up the movement of mucus, possibly help Mm. relieving congestion and limiting the amount of time viruses are in contact with the nose lining. So it's not necessarily that it cures your cold, but that does things that help you. Yeah. Reading in the dark will damage your eyesight. Don't read in the dark. You'll damage your eyesight. 
everybody says false. It is false. Yay! You might you might get a headache by because you're putting strain on your eyes that you don't really have to, but it's not like your vision is going to get permanently from 2020 to 1620 because you read in the dark. Take I, that, Grandma. I actually thought it improves your eyesight, and this may be another old wife's tale or a baloney science. You're working out your eye muscles, so it's almost like... You're going to the gym, but for your eyeballs, hmm. you're doing yeah. sets. No, I baloney. It, no, I don't think or... it works. I think that's. I think that unfortunately is baloney. You don't really want to uh, strain your eyeballs. This is an interesting saying that I only just learned about. Gain a child, lose a tooth. Oh, what? funny. As in, your dental health will degenerate with pregnancy. Correlation, or at least a causation between getting pregnant and worsening dental health. True or false? I'm gonna I'm gonna put an asterisk on my thumb. Yeah, yes. everybody, I can like, see that being true says, at one time. Everybody pops an asterisk on their on their <laughs> thumb and says true. It is yeah. true. It's not a not at a one to one ratio, and not simply because you have a, you know you have a baby and a tooth falls out, etc. And here's what Delta Dental says on the subject: morning sickness when you're pregnant because oh, vomiting will erode your tooth oh. enamel. Um, you will you could actually you could also uh, hormonal changes during pregnancy could give you dry mouth uh, and and having less saliva in your mouth will increase the risk of cavities. And, of course, when you're pregnant, you have an increased desire, says Delta Dental, for sugary and starchy foods. Uh, and I had this whole theory of, like, oh, well, maybe the mother's body diverts nutrients or resources yes, to yes. the baby, and um, then the calcium deficiency yes, or... The baby eats that, your teeth. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, I think, the made-up reason for a while. Like, oh, well, you know, it's all going to the baby, and there's less for herself Got and it. whatever. But, no, yeah. it's it's all these it's all these things. That's the that vomit. That makes, sense. that makes a lot more sense. And stress yes. is bad for your teeth too stress is bad for your gums of course yeah, yeah. So. so if you're pregnant you're watching yeah. a lot of things when you're pregnant yeah. you know uh watch out for your teeth yeah um you should eat bread crust because that's where all the good stuff is uh dana says false Collins says false karen says false it's actually true really? well it's it's not because like all the nutrients in the bread migrate out to the crust yeah. uh, but because the the browning reaction the my the maillard reaction of of browning actually creates uh higher levels of beneficial antioxidants ah. in the crust there now of course you could just you know go ahead and toast the bread if you wanted to <laughs> um, finally wait one hour after eating before you swim it is dangerous to swim right after you've eaten. Karen says true. I'll say no. false. No, it's false. <laughs> now, now, okay. So digestion does require oxygen, like everything else your body does. And so, yeah, are you competing a little bit? Like, sure. Now, Karen, you would not go to In-N-Out and eat five burgers before running a marathon. No. Right? No. I'll because do it after. You're going to get a cramp. <laughs> yeah. You're going to yeah. feel bad. You're going to feel bloated. Like, that's a great reason to not eat a huge meal and then go and then, like, athletically swim around. But there's but nothing special about swimming versus jogging other or push-ups kinds of or exercise. any other exercise. Okay. Right. You don't load up on heavy food. Can't I it thought it was nuts. more like, don't eat a sandwich and then get in the pool and throw up and then ruin the pool for everybody. <laughs> oh, and again, because, because it is embarrassing for me. I have to clean it up. Right. <laughs> and again, you hear about tons and tons and tons of cases where children drown and it's like one of the biggest killers of children is like it's drowning but you never hear a story about little jimmy johnson <laughs> yeah, yeah. ate a sandwich and then went <laughs> only in the pool. waited 49 minutes yep, yeah yeah yep, yeah now it's up to our generation to set these well, facts that's straight right. that's true all right well i didn't think we could have a body show without a discussion of funky names for various body parts 
so many of the words are just strange words in and of themselves. But for very plain things, I would imagine. So yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna we're gonna talk about a mix of things here. So most of these are gonna be like the technical name for common things. Okay. Some of these are gonna be things like, oh, I didn't know that had a name. You guys know what the name for uh, the little thing that hangs down in the back of your throat is? Ep- uh, Chris, I think, buzzed in. Uh-huh. <laughs> the uvula. It is yeah. the uvula. And I remember on the playground, like, oh, I can see your uvula. You that, know? Sounds, yeah. Yeah. It sounds that sounds dirty. dirty. Right, it right, sounds, right. So many of these are going to sound dirty. Why does that sound dirty? The, the uvula. Oh, like vulva. Because it yeah. sounds like vulva. Yeah. yeah okay. Uvula. Of course, I didn't realize this. It makes so much sense. It's, it comes from Latin. It means little grape. Yeah. Uh, it's your mouth grape. <laughs> Shut your mouth grape. Shut your mouth grape. <laughs> <laughs> If I asked you guys to find a lunula on your body, where would you look? Lunula. So like moon. Like, like yeah, Latin, butt. yep, you guys. It's Latin Crescent. for little moon. Little moon. I'll give huh. you a hint. Like, okay, Whoa. Karen's going to take a stab at it. Is it the thing in your fingernails? Yes, that oh. is what it is. Yes. That's great. Your lunula the is the little lighter sort of half crescent shape at the base of your finger. It, Why is it a different color? It's a different color because it's actually a slightly different consistency of your skin. That's where of. it grows from. That's essentially where it grows from. Oh. Yeah, like if you yeah. get if you get that part damaged, it'll damage your nail really forever. Right. Yeah, mm. yeah. All right, guys, we have to talk about your axilla. Um, <laughs> I... Oh, Chris, right off the bat. This is your armpit. It is. Your armpit is your axilla. How do you you spell it? A-X-I-L-L-A. L-L-A. Yeah. Right. Uh, They have axillary thermometers that go in your armpit. Beautiful. Is that why Axe body spray is called Axe? No. (laughs) I I would not give them enough. I would not give them that much credit. Maybe. So I think when I was in maybe like seventh or eighth grade, I had a uh, biology teacher and asked the class with the preface, Nothing dirty. What's the favorite part of your body? So I picked for my favorite part of my body, this part right under your nose. Yes. So I'm touching the little grooved oh. ridge oh, right yeah. below my nose. Do you guys know what this word is? I've, I've heard it before. This is a fantastic word. It's, uh, oh, Dana. The fremulum? You're so oh. close. It is the philtrum. Philtrum. P-H-I-L-T-R-U-M. What does it do? The prevailing theory is is that in a lot of mammals that need to have a wet nose pad, it functions to to keep it moist. So it moves moisture between your nose and your mouth. But it's for animals where like they really need to rely on their sense of smell. So the theory is like as humans, we don't really use our sense of smell that much. So for us, the philtrum probably does nothing. Um, but for dogs, they'll have a little ridge down yep. their nose, and it it has that kind of capillary action. It keeps mm. their nose wet. Dana, I uh, so when we were talking about the philtrum, you said frenulum was the uh, first thing that came to mind. That sounds familiar. It's in the head region. Uh, the frenulum is, is this the butt. Cleft in your chin? No. Oh, no. that's a good one. Oh, thank you. It, the frenulum is the little flap of skin that connects your tongue on the inside. Uh, yes! Of your oh, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Frenulum. All right. Well, and I'll just close out here. I will say I, I was going to wrap up with uh, cerumen, Dana, but you beat me to the punch. Uh, my, my only bit to add with cerumen is nothing has made me quite so queasy as the Wikipedia page for cerumen, which has two just gross Q-tips with earwax <laughs> globbed all over them. And I, I just had to close the page. You're not supposed to do that, by the way. You're not supposed to That's put that true. in your earwax. That's true. Because it's good for you. You're supposed to leave you. that stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Don't put Q-tips in your belly button. Have you done yeah. it before? Four We're talking five. about that. I've oh, done really? it, and it feels so weird. You should not put Q-tips in your belly button. It makes me really? Yes, it does. It makes me want to go pee. Oh, yeah. 90% of people have an innie, and occasionally you get an outie. I have an innie. I have an innie. I have an innie. I have an innie. Have an innie. innie. We're all innies. Right. Like, if you put your finger in there. Hey, put your shirts down, people. <laughs> 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 yeah, everybody's bellies oh came God. out. I want to make sure are... it was still there. Oh, holy cow. Thank goodness this section isn't about the butthole. <laughs> or December of last year, they figured out that everybody has a different ecology of bacteria <gasps> in their belly buttons. What? It's almost like fingerprints. They're so different. Whoa. University of North Carolina, they did the belly button biodiversity project. They had 60 volunteers give belly button samples, <laughs> and they found 2,368 bacterial species in wow. those belly buttons. 1,458 of them maybe are new to science. Like they never (laughs) (laughs) Wow. The last two horizons for biodiversity are rainforests and belly buttons. Yeah, your belly button is just like a rainforest. Because they had no idea that you you should look for things there. There, I mean, there were amazing things in there. Like this one science writer, there was a bacteria in his belly button that they'd only ever previously found in Japanese soil. He's never been to Japan. And it's in in his belly button. My word. There was somebody else who had bacteria in their belly button that they've only ever found in ice caps and thermal vents. <laughs> What's going it's on so in our random. belly buttons? Yeah. I know. Actually, that'd be interesting if I'm seeing dollar signs here. If I had, <laughs> yeah, if, oh, if, totally. if I had all these resources and technology, like it'd be so interesting to subject yourself to like an individual belly button ecology test mm-hmm. and I would get a report of here the different things that are living in my belly button and where else they're found like a big infographic. You so can wait, so do wait. that. What? You can do that. <laughs> no. You can get a sample and then they'll take a photo. Basically, they'll give you a breakdown of everything that's in your belly button like what bacteria are common. Like, we should yeah. all do this. Yeah. Good job, Brick. Good job, belly button. <laughs> Thank you, Bonobos, for sponsoring our belly button testing. <laughs> your, your money is going to good use. Yeah. Just sleep sound at night yeah it's for science furthering the cause of human knowledge and they can't figure out if it has to do with gender or or weight or ethnicity or diet they don't know they don't know they just figured out to look (laughs) there's something in there the cure for something is in there yeah this this whole section just makes me feel really weird (laughs) (laughs) just keep thinking about my belly button be careful about digging your belly button don't go yeah don't go look at there's all sorts of crazy bacteria in there you don't want to like put any cuts in there you can get you can get terrible infections yeah uh, yeah so be careful when you're cleaning no, your we just body. like told everybody all these yeah. magical wonderful <laughs> things that are in their belly button don't, touch have it. To don't look down there don't yeah. do anything be very gentle with it it's delicate yep. it's a delicate ecosystem yep yep well speaking of amazing body growth I think a lot of people know this for a fact the male facial hair is the fastest growing hair anywhere mm. in your body you guys would know so i kind of the guys would know i don't know sorry not us but some real men would know. <laughs> right, yeah, right, right. yeah yeah okay <laughs> now that we've made it clear she's right, talking right, about right. hypothetical yes. men yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. exactly so i had a burning question and it's why are five o'clock shadows called five o'clock shadows oh why is it five o'clock i i always thought that the the assumption was you shave in the morning, you go to work, and by five o'clock you've grown back enough hair that it's oh. at the end of the day. That's what I always. Took oh, I thought mean. it was when you wake up and ah. it was five o'clock in the morning and you're getting ready. You know, you've got that five o'clock shadow, so you've got to shave it off because it's not like you have like hair on your face. You have like huh. stubble. It, well, I was just always like the five o'clock is like the five o'clock and like well it's five o'clock somewhere. Time to go yeah. drink. It's like end of the day five o'clock. Oh, I thought it was beginning was... of the day five o'clock. Interesting. All right, yeah. Karen, tell 
light mess, Karen. Well, so yeah, why five o'clock? Why isn't it four? Why isn't it six? Why 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 five? Sure. It doesn't rhyme with anything, and it could be like oh nine to five yeah. job. Mm-hmm. So here, this is why it's five o'clock specifically. I'm gonna throw this in there, by the way. At some point in this, it's gonna it's going to be revealed that it came from somebody's advertising campaign. <laughs> I was thinking of Mad Men, yeah, uh, or like anyway. Burma Shave. Wait, or something. you guys are stealing all my material. Oh! Oh! Sorry. The number one lesson, Karen, you should know is don't let us speculate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. Okay. Go on. Go well, on. so okay. Well, the saying five o'clock is is important because yeah. in 19th century, like upper crust British people, mm-hmm. there is an English habit of taking tea at that time at five o'clock so we have five o'clock tea and it could be you know a social thing it could be like a something you do at home and so the teas became popular with middle classes and eventually trickled from the uk across the atlantic to usa and this light late afternoon tea time slash meal were renamed five o'clock dinners so there is Mm. some sort of tradition and that's where you meet people or your family or your friends in the 1930s, the five o'clock shadow, the term was first officially coined in advertising <sighs> by the Gem Razor Blade Company. Good what? job, Brain, has made me so cynical that I now <laughs> have anything, anything that is a commonly used phrase. Exactly. Yep, yeah. Yep. So the Gem Razor Blade Company wanted to convince dudes that they needed to use their product. Right. So the company created a campaign that basically shamed men and convinced men that they suffered from, quote, ugly afternoon beard growth. Right. So it is <laughs> 5 p.m. So it's like you shave in the morning, but your razor sucks. Yeah. If, if you had a gem razor, it would shave close enough that... Sure. Exactly. So come 5 o'clock, you show up in public to your tea with your friends or with your family and people will be like, oh, you don't want to show up mm. in some stubble. You right. better use the gem razor blade. Mm. Inventing a problem where none exists. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah. And yeah. really, I mean, like like we talked about listering before, yeah. like really creating a problem, really hyping up the horror of, of an unsightliness of having even a little bit of stubble, even though maybe you don't even have it, but it, the campaigns made you think, oh, Maybe I do suffer this problem. Right, right. I would have wagered that it was a totally authentic kind of folk saying. You know, actually, I'd like to throw this out there on that note. Uh, I, I attempted to research this, but couldn't do it to my satisfaction. And so I put it to you guys and to the Good Job Brain listeners, if you can find me uh, a good definitive answer on this. I was reading an article and someone said within the story, like, maybe they'll get a second chance to make a first impression. And I thought to myself, I'm like, was this like in Benjamin Franklin's almanac or whatever? Or is this actually just a head and shoulders oh, line? Because yeah. that was their advertising slogan. You never get a second chance to make a first I'm, impression. I'm pretty sure that predates head and shoulders. That's the thing. Okay. I don't, I can't find any evidence that it does or doesn't. So right. I'm, I'm wondering, did head and shoulders come up with that line for its advertising campaign? Mm. And now it's made its way into the sure, dictionary sure, sure. of English language idioms. Or line. does it predate head yeah. and shoulders? Did they co-opt yeah. it, right? Yes. So I'd be really curious to hear if anyone anybody can uh, can nail that down go to it yeah also hair is just kind of amazing i didn't know this but human hair is virtually indestructible yeah uh, aside from being flammable which yeah. i have done before with my eyebrows on purpose no like in <laughs> science class oh before. yeah i know it's really dirt i mean that's one of the reasons that you have to get such crazy corrosive chemicals for like yes. drain clogs is because most drain clogs are hair yeah and it nothing dissolves it won't dissolve in water hair it, yeah, yeah hair is waterproof it cannot be destroyed by cold it deteriorates or decays at such a 
slow, slow rate. A change of climate doesn't do anything. Natural forces doesn't do anything. It's resistant to so many types of acids and corrosive chemicals. So appreciate uh, the characteristics of hair the next time you see ball of hair in your shower, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wow, that stuff came from me and it's super strong. Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. So we covered a lot of gross things. Uh, that was that was pretty good. We went from head to to toe. I would have to say for yeah. a show about the human body, the, it could have been far grosser given yeah, it wasn't given, that given gross. who we are. We were pretty restrained. Yeah, 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 we were. I have a final quiz, and this is kind of a piggyback from uh, our last episode. Oh. Um, people really liked my capital capitals quiz. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to let you guys know that the quiz from last episode, episode 55, that was the cream of the crop. Those were like the best material I had. And people are like, oh, maybe we should do a part two. Okay, so so here we go. I have a part two, but I just want to warn you guys. All right. They're not that great. Right. And also, to be fair, you're limited by the pool of world capitals. Yes. You can't just com- create new capitals. Yes. So here's the premise. In case if you missed uh, last episode... I'm going to be describing something kind of like a like a crossword clue. And the answer I'm looking for is a homophone or a sound-alike word that sounds like an actual world capital. The example I gave was an activity that buffaloes do. And the answer is Rome. Yes. They roam, and, and Rome is capital city of Italy. Here we go. A rooster grenade. Bangkok. Uh, Correct. Uh, yes. <laughs> to some again. Chris. Riyadh. Riyadh. Yes. Riyadh. Riyadh. <laughs> Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Oh, God. All right. Basketball star Jeremy's nickname if he played in Antarctica. What's his name? What's his nickname? Jeremy Lynn. Lynn oh, Cole, Lynn Sanity. Lynn, Lynn. Ice Lynn. Cole. Cold. Iceland. That's a capital city. <laughs> Whatever. Reykjavik. It's good enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's going to be something. Fr- uh, uh, Limburg. Oh, Limburg. Berlin. Berlin. Wow. Okay. That's good. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. That's, that's good. good. That's no, gettable. That's good. That's good. Okay. All right. All right, guys. Uh, an architectural way to physically stop an influx of cute rodents. Wall, mouse, wall, mice, rat, house, church, uh, architectural. It's gonna be more, more, more rubbish. Oh, uh, more, more rubbish. Ra- raccoon, squirrel, hamster, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel town, <laughs> Amsterdam. Ah, yeah. uh, Henry Higgins. Okay, ha- hamster, Amsterdam. Amsterdam. I said sound alike, not, <laughs> sure. not yeah, a direct good. homophone. Amsterdam. But, oh, okay. Well, we'll see. You think Yogi is able to do it? Um. Uh, oh. Oh. Is this Canberra? Yes. Wow. Canberra. <laughs> All right. 
what a New Englander would call a small nocturnal mammal with huge eyes. Nocturnal marmosets. What are uh, nocturnal mammals? Large eyes. Lima. Oh, Lima. Peru. Yes, Lima. Lima. Oh, Lima. 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 Kindergarten. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. Not very strong, but we'll, but we'll see. This is turn. better than last yeah, time. Yeah, I think they're all strong. They're all good. Silly. They're all good. Fuzzy plant bovine. Oh, Moscow. Moscow. Oh. Moscow. <laughs> very good. Uh, that was great. Yeah. Yay. Thank you. I'm glad we did that again. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Lima. 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 <laughs> I uh, am not a Lima. <laughs> Uh, and that's our show. Thank you guys for joining me. And thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. Hope you learned a lot about the mm. wonderful facts about our own bodies. Oh, and, we, uh, we forgot boogers. We'll get them next no. time. Oh, no, we boogers. didn't forget. We didn't <laughs> like, we thought about it. Well, we didn't do boogers. No, we didn't. No. Nor poop. All right. Uh-oh. No. Boogers and poop. Well, every show's about poop. Well, yeah, that's, that's true. true. But that's boogers. True. Next time. Yeah. Human us. body too. Electric boogerloo. <laughs> oh, that was good. Oh, that was good. Electric boogerloo. <laughs> well, uh, you can find us on iTunes on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and also on our website, which is goodjobbrain.com. Check out our sponsor at bonobos.com, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.